coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. Three years ago, August 8th, I woke up like any other morning. I woke up, I had the, the uh, CPAP machine on, and for whatever reason, I couldn't catch my breath. Sarkodosis blogger Charlton Harris was suddenly out of breath. So the lungs aren't totally, for lack of a better phrase, they're not totally wiped out, but they're pretty, it's pretty significant damage, but I still get around. Charlton will be sharing his story of how sarcoidosis made his lungs collapse and why he's committing his thoughts to a blog that's now shared around the world. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello, I'm your host, John Carlin, and welcome to episode 37 of the Sark Fighter Podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from ATAR Pharma. I do this podcast to offer you, my fellow Sark Fighters, hope. And the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. You can hear his story, the story behind the lyrics, way back in episode 12. But Mark was a hockey player and just got harder and harder. And the more they looked into it, the more they found that something was wrong and it turned out to be sarcoidosis. But he is quite a musician and songwriter and very accomplished. And uh, there'll be a link to uh, the entire song. If you want to download the song, a portion of the proceeds go to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Of course, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting sarcoidosis in my body, and so are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, somewhere along the way, sarcoidosis is touching your life. And I like to think that this is a place where we all gather. I hear over and over from people they don't know anybody else who has sarcoidosis, and they just want to hear what's going on in other people's lives, like what's normal, what's not normal, is it all in my head? Uh, or are other people feeling this and, and what I'm feeling is legitimate? And that's that's one of the reasons that, that I'm here. And then, you know, I want to make sure you realize that there is a reason for hope, either by the way you can approach your life or reapproach your life, or when we talk to researchers and caregivers, we find uh, that there are uh, there are solutions on the horizon, and we try to shine a light on those. Um, and so, uh, along with my guests, and so the idea is is let's let's get it all out there. Now, speaking of that. Um, there's a couple of bonus episodes that have been released just recently. Uh, I released uh, the, this episode uh, just in my last week. It was a town hall hosted by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and, and I was the moderator on the topic of prednisone. 98% of all SARC patients have been on prednisone, and the side effects, as you probably know, are awful. So we had Dr. Elliot Krauser, who is FSR's Scientific Advisory Board Chair, and Jessica Reed, who is an 18-year neurosarc survivor, and Dr. Sanjay Shukla from Atire Pharma, working on a new drug that is showing promise of offering an alternative to prednisone in treating sarcoidosis. And then just uh, just last week, and I actually misspoke a moment ago, it's been a couple of weeks since the first bonus episode, and then just last week, uh, sarcoidosis and COVID-19. And boy, there's a lot of questions out there, a lot of confusion. People wanted to know, for instance, uh, if any of the vaccines is best for a sarcoidosis patient? Um, is there a threat from any of the vaccines? Can the vaccines cause flare-ups? 
and the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research recruited Dr. Peter Sporn of the Northwestern Sarcoidosis Center of Excellence and also Dr. Wonder Drake, who is more of a researcher at Vanderbilt, and they came in and answered all of these questions, and I was fortunate enough to be asked to be the moderator of that conversation of an hour-long seminar, and that is now available in podcast form as well. So something that you might want to think about and links to those bonus episodes are available with the show notes in this podcast. If you are new to this disease and you're trying to figure out what it is that's going on in your body and you don't have a clue, you never heard of sarcoidosis until your doctor told you that's what you had, you might want to listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. If you want to know more about me and who this person is telling you all about sarcoidosis on your podcast, if you just stumbled onto it, listen to episode one. I have NeuroSarc uh, directly on my spinal cord and it's caused me all kinds of problems, but I've been working on various therapies to uh, get back to as close to normal as I can. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up today. But if you want to know the whole backstory, there it is in episode one. The backstory to how the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research came into being is episode 11. That's with the founders, Andrea and Redding Wilson. And Andrea is a fellow Sark fighter, a sarcoidosis warrior, if you will. And now before I get into today's conversation with Charlton, who you are just absolutely going to love, by the way, I need to go back and cover a couple of things that I've been keeping you up to speed on. One of them is this diet that I have been on. It's called the Elimination Diet. The idea is, as you figure out what's causing inflammation in your body when you go on this diet... So for some time now, I've been eliminating the typical triggers of inflammation, which means no sugar, no gluten or grains to speak of, and no dairy. Um, and all of this came about when I interviewed Ryan Norenberg, and then later his wife, Lindsay Norenberg, uh, who runs Nourished by Lindsay, uh, and she got so involved in helping Ryan get over the hump with sarcoidosis that she is now uh, basically uh, left her job in higher education, which was a great job, and she has been uh, helping me and other clients through um, through her system of using the elimination diet and helping you find what it is that maybe is triggering discomfort in your body because sarcoidosis is at its root at some level um, inflammation, and the more you can avoid that, the more comfortable you're going to be. One of the things I have found is eating potatoes is really a trigger for me. Pizza is a trigger for me. I just feel really bloated and awful. And now I've kind of pushed those things out of my diet, and uh, and I'm feeling much, much better. So um, with the elimination diet, man, I was, and you've heard me talk about this in previous episodes, I was extremely dedicated for two months. Um, and now because life is starting to intervene, I've backed off a little bit, but let me tell you where I am. I'm still drinking a smoothie in the morning, still taking a probiotic, which uh, Lindsay recommended, and I'm just taking the one that she takes. She doesn't have any financial stake in this company or, or anything like that, but I'm taking a, a probiotic from a company called Just Thrive. And uh, I think that's helping. It's helping me to um, get healthier bacteria in my gut. And you'd be surprised how much that governs how you feel and, and your overall health. So I've been doing that. 
I've just recently started taking omega-3 fish oil pills. Uh, so you're getting that critical omega-3 fatty acid. And man, I think I am feeling a significant difference in my life. I've been taking those just for about two weeks now. And I feel like my mental acuity is much better. So I can, I can think about multiple things at once without it intimidating me. And, and I feel like I can sort of jump into my to-do list and face my daily tasks without feeling overwhelmed because I can keep track of everything. And I would say that there has been a noticeable improvement since I started taking uh, the omega-3 uh, fatty acids. And I will, uh, I'll put a link to the brand that I'm taking in the show notes. But I will tell you that, again, life is getting complicated. And for me, one of the problems with the elimination diet is um, I decided back in the winter when it was cold and I was feeling crummy that I was going to try and ride my bicycle. And I am an avid cyclist that I was going to train for and do the bicycle version of a marathon. And that's called a century. So a marathon is when you run 26.2 miles. And back in my uh, 30s and 40s, I was a marathon runner and, and enjoyed that. But because of sarcoidosis, I'm not able to do that anymore. But I can ride my bicycle. So what you do is you get on your bike and you ride 100 miles, and that's called a century. And as luck would have it, in the month of May, I did not one but two centuries. And as I'm speaking to you now, I am just... Uh, three days out from having, four days out from having completed my second century. And this one was called the Horsey 100. And it was in Georgetown, Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. Uh, and it's just right there in horse country where they raise and train all the thoroughbreds that you see racing in the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont Stakes, uh, you know, the triple crown of horse racing. And so we were riding through some of the most gorgeous scenery that you can possibly imagine, all these beautiful horse farms. But it was a rolling and I would say difficult course. There was over 6,000 feet of climbing. So you'd go, it was all rolling. So you'd go up a hill and then down a hill and then up a hill and down a hill. And, and the uphills were long enough and steep enough that you sort of had to bear down. You couldn't just carry your momentum from the downhill. So the bottom line is is, is it was uh, it was more difficult than the first century we did back in the early part of May, which was essentially flat. But be that as it may, uh, when you are working so hard and training so hard for these difficult bike rides, um, it's very difficult to fuel enough just on uh, the the very pure elimination diet. So I've started to add some other things in, but at the end of the day, I'm still trying to eat as well as I can and taking those supplements. And, and really, I've got to tell you that I, I feel much better than I have. Um, we've had um, some baby shower related stuff here in my family. We've had a gender reveal party that we hosted here at the house. And I've got a wedding. My nephew's getting married coming up this weekend. All of these things make it very difficult to say, yeah, I'm just going to eat a salad, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you don't go to the wedding and, and just eat the salad. You don't have a homemade cake in your kitchen and not have a slice of cake and celebrate the fact that your son and daughter-in-law have just announced that they're having a baby girl. I mean, you just, you've got, you've got to live. So between the bike rides and the social events, and I've got some vacations coming up. I'm going to see my parents for uh, a long week 
here uh, a full week vacation and then in july I'm, I'm taking a fly fishing trip in montana which was delayed last year uh and you know so i'm not going to sit down after a long day of fishing with all my buddies and say yeah you go ahead and have the steak i think i'll sit over here and have a bell pepper <laughs> you know uh uh, so, so life is getting in the way, but it's, so I've been talking to Lindsay Nuremberg uh, back in episode from episode 34, as I told you. And so I'm going to kind of lean into a paleo diet. Paleo is, uh, if you think about the air, age of the cavemen, whatever a caveman could eat. So there was a hunter gatherer. So they, they might have some protein, but they might go along and find some berries, some nuts, some apples, uh, whatever you could gather, but they didn't really have organized agriculture. So, you know, you, I probably will eat some green vegetables, but they didn't know what corn was. They didn't know what wheat was. And so you stay away from those things. You think of it, what, what could a caveman have found to eat? And that's kind of what I'm going to lean towards when I can. Avoiding sugar as much as I can. So, you know, I'm going to really resist the opportunity for cookies and cakes and that sort of thing. Uh, avoid starches. I've already kind of identified that uh, that dairy is not great for me. And, you know, cavemen were not milking cows, to my knowledge. And, I'll, you know, I'll try and stay away from pizza. Uh, but when I go on vacation, if my dad wants to have a beer with me and my mom says, hey, you know, sit down and have a glass of wine, uh, or if I bring a nice bottle of bourbon from my trip to Kentucky that I want to share with my father, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm going to do that. That's all there is to it. So doing the best I can. I do feel the best I have felt in over two years. I want to keep it going. I want to eat right. I want to keep up this exercise. I have fought so long and trained so hard to get to this, for me, what's a relatively high level um, that I don't want to give it up. It's like it's I've I've arrived. I've done these two centuries, and I'm riding my bike really well, and and, and so now I just want to enjoy it, right? So you don't want to do something to screw it up. You just want to you just want to keep it going. And so that's that's what I'm trying to do, and and I wish you the best wherever you are on your journey to wherever you're going, and and I give you my backstory, hoping that maybe. Uh, it can give you some inspiration or some hope or maybe uh, a pathway to whatever it is that you are trying to accomplish. Now, speaking of that, I want to tell you more about today's guest, Charlton Harris. I found him because of his blog, which is called No Tears for Sarcoidosis. He is a bit of a philosopher, and I enjoy his takes on how he is really making lemonade out of the lemons that sarcoidosis has dealt him. He lives in Philadelphia. He is an accomplished professional video editor and producer, and I really enjoyed my conversation with Charlton Harris, and it's coming up next here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast.
Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. Joining me now is Charlton Harris, a fellow Sark fighter and also a fellow video guy. And he's joining us today from Philadelphia. Charlton, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. So uh, you were telling me uh, before we started recording here that um, you were diagnosed way back in 2004? Yeah, I believe it was 2004. In 2003, uh, I lost my mother suddenly. And it was obviously a big shock. But the, the thing that kind of kind of took me back to that was right before she passed away, I had to get a surgery, a sp- uh, sinus surgery. I had developed sinus polyps uh, in my nose and wasn't sure where they came from, didn't know anything about them. You know, she went with me to the surgery. The doctor removed them. And about three weeks later, she passed away. At that point, I think it was a few months after that was when I was diagnosed with sarcoid. And then I tried to put two and two together and thinking, well, maybe sarcoidosis caused the sinus polyps or whatever. I'm not sure. I don't know. Right. So I went to a pulmonologist at one of our local hospitals and he him and I, we talked about sleep studies and sleep apnea and things like that. And as he further gauged his questions, he asked if I had any kind of blemishes or sores or any markings on my legs. And at the time, I had a few that looked like bug bikes. It was the summertime. And when he, when I pulled up my pants leg and he looked at my legs, he said, that looks like sarcoid, uh, remnants of sarcoid or whatever. So... Um, we did a study, a lung biopsy, I forget what they call it, a blur, blurbectomy or something like that. And they took some samples of my lung tissue, come to find out that it was. Huh. <clears throat> there was sarcoid. So, so you were you were lucky because you had a doctor find it almost right away. Yeah, he found it for me. I didn't know anything about it. And it was just just the basic questions that he asked. And when he asked to look at my legs, that's when he, I guess it's a pattern, and that's what yeah. he saw, and that's what brought it all to light. Can you tell me what that rash looked like on your legs that the doctor found? Sure. They looked like little mosquito bites. They weren't in clusters. Uh, looked like a, a little red bump here, and then it would get a little dry, a little itchy, get a little scaly, and, you know, you take a shower, put some lotion on, it would just smooth out, but it would just be a marking. Just a mark on your leg. Down by your ankles? Yeah, absolutely. On the shins? Yep. Man, I had that too. I had yep. that too, you know, and and even now that I've been diagnosed, it wasn't until I started talking to people here on the podcast that I realized that that was an early warning sign of, of what was going on with me. I, right. I thought it was dry skin or something like that. Exactly. And at that point, we looked at my arms. There was nothing there. My back, nothing there. It just seemed to probably appear on my legs. Wow. And at that wow. point, it's it's like, okay, this could be, but we don't know. So let's find out. And did they do any, did they scrape any of the skin from your legs or the, or, they, or that's when they did the biopsy in your lungs and found it? Yeah, that's, that's when they did the, the lung thing. They took a, some of the dry skin off the legs. And at that point it was, I guess, conclusive or not conclusive. It never came back to, an issue of the legs. It all came back down to the lungs. Got it. So all that's right. when it made the, the, um, 
the assessment. So that was 2004, and we're talking in May of 2021. Right. How did your how did your sarcoidosis progress after that? Um, very, you know what? Honestly, it really didn't, because I I was never really short of breath. Uh, I always did what I needed to do. I swam, as I tell the story with the doctors. I swam, walked my dog. You know, I was running around with the cameras, picking up freelance gigs. I still work. Um, what else? Uh, rode my bike, took walks. Um, so it really didn't bother me until I would say maybe three years ago. Okay. That's when, that's when it started to kind of get with me because that's when I had my first lung cross, my first spontaneous pneumothorax. Your first spontaneous, say that again. My first spontaneous pneumothorax. Okay. That's a new word it's, for me. What is a, that? It's a lung collapse. Okay. Mm. I had both of them collapse. Wow. And so, so you weren't taking from 2004 with diagnosis, you weren't taking any treatment or anything like that. The only then, thing I, nope. The only thing I was doing at that time was the uh, CPAP machine. I was sleeping with CPAP. For C- sleep then, apnea, right? Yeah. And then the doctors decided, well, let's switch you to BiPAP. <clears throat> so then I switched off the BiPAP machine and I, can't prove it, but I think that may have had an issue with the lung collapse, the forced air into the lungs. Wow. So three years ago, what happened? You're walking around one day and, and oh. how, how did you, how did you know your lung collapsed? Three years ago, August 8th, I woke up like any other morning. I woke up, I had the, the uh, CPAP machine on and for whatever reason, I couldn't catch my breath. And I was you know, huffing and trying to get straight and trying to get myself together, but I couldn't take a full breath. And my wife, she kind of was like, what's wrong? I was like, well, I can't breathe. It feels like something's wrong, you know? So at that point, my son came in and, you know, I was trying to make it down to, I had an oxygen concentrator in, in the house to go with the uh, CPAP machine because I was sleeping with both. And I was trying to get to my concentrator and couldn't. And it was just, that much more of an issue to breathe. Plus, it was summertime. It was it was uh, you know humid and all that. So I tried to make it downstairs, but we called rescue. They came, took me to the closest hospital, and the nurse that uh, came in. They did the portable X-ray. She took an X-ray. She's like, "I'm going to show you this." And on her phone, she said, "Here are your lungs." And I said, "Wow." She said, "This will collapse." She said, "That's why you can't breathe." And I was like, "Oh, wow." But I tell you, it's just one of those things that if it happens, you'll know it. And that was sarcoidosis? They, they believe that it was a, a, a manifestation from the sarcoid, yeah. Wow. So, because when I, when I talk to people typically who have sarcoidosis in their lungs, it, it just starts covering um, all of the, the breathing tubes and so forth to where they're right. not right. effective anymore. And so is that, is that essentially what happened to you? Well, it seems like mine started in the bottom of my lungs. It's kind of worked its way up. So the lungs aren't totally, uh, for lack of a better phrase, they're not totally wiped out, but they're pretty, it's pretty significant damage. But I still get around and do a lot of things that I do with, oxygen is needed and sometimes without oxygen 
Wow. Are you a candidate for a lung transplant? I was, but obviously got turned down because they consider me a high risk. A high risk because of? Well, a high risk because of, you know, if you have sarcoid long enough, you can start to develop pulmonary hypertension. So that was one of the issues that they had. And also, um, there was an issue with the way my physiology is. I don't know what that means. My recent, a uh, few weeks ago, I was at the University of Pennsylvania. They told me that I was too frail. And I was, well, what does frail mean? As I'm weak, am I this old guy? You know, but apparently they want to have their standard. They want to have you at one of, uh, they want to have you at a standard that they feel comfortable with. And um, the other thing was uh, edema. There was an issue that they thought that I would retain too much fluid, which is why I was just in the hospital for fluid retention. Whew. Okay. So, yeah, as you and I are speaking, you and I, uh, in fact, you, we were set up to do a recording about a week ago, and you texted right. me and said, uh, I can't. I'm in the hospital. So. Right. How long were you in the hospital and what was that stay all about? Well, I was in for, I went in on Mother's Day, the Sunday Mother's Day, and I just got out yesterday. And what they did, they just pumped me full of Lasix so that I could eliminate the fluid that had built up. And when I checked with the doctor yesterday, he told me that I had about 10 liters of fluid that I had accumulated. And it wasn't really noticeable. It was noticeable. Like it looked like I picked up some weight, but I didn't look like, you know, over, I didn't look like Curly from the Three Stooges. I wasn't really big. You know, my legs were still functioning. I was still rolling around, still doing my thing. But now they look more like me, like my size. Huh. So, how do they get the fluid out of your body? How does that work? Uh, set me up with an IV and just kept pumping me with laces. So I would have to urinate like five, six, eight times or 20 times a day, you know, mm-hmm. just to keep just to keep it flowing. And I was on a liquid restriction as well. And and how is that related to your sarcoidosis? I'm not too sure. Because again, like I said, this is this is something that a lot of doctors are finding out about. So I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's because the lung after the lung transplant, I believe you can accumulate fluid. I think it's because of my lung condition, I may be at risk of accumulating more fluid more rapidly than anybody else. Oh, the other issue was because during my lung collapse, I also had what's called a pleurodesis, which is the sticky lung, where they adhere your lung to the chest cavity. I think that's right. Well, apparently during a lung transplant, all of that has to be scraped away to get the old lungs out to put the new lungs in. And that makes it a higher risk because the sticky stuff works. Yeah. You know, so what are doctors telling you right now about um, about your case and, and your status with sarcoidosis? Right now, I'm stable. That's, that's the term that, that we all use. 
I'm stable. My lungs are, to my, in my opinion, my lungs are okay. Um, meaning that I can move around. I'm mobile. I can pretty much, as you can see, breathe on my own without any uh, additional oxygen, which I will use from time to time. But um, it hasn't, the, the sarcoid hasn't spread to any more portions of our lungs. It hasn't spread to any other organs, which it does do. Um, it hasn't spread to my eyes or liver or heart. I had a heart calf. I had one last week, as a matter of fact, but I also had a heart x-ray. I forget what they call it, but they can see if there's sarcoid, if sarcoid had developed in the heart. And there was none for me. I had it done in, I think, 2018. And I think I had another one done in 2020. Right. So it hasn't spread any. What What drugs are you taking? Right now, I'm just starting uh, something for pulmonary hypertension, nothing for sarcoid. You're, so no prednisone, no methotrexate, nothing like that? No, I was taking prednisone. Uh, for the well, actually, when I was first diagnosed, I was take, I took prednisone for about nine months, and I think I took five or ten milligrams. I'm not sure. It was so long ago, and then after that nine months, I stopped taking it, and everything was fine. You know, that's when I really did the bulk of my, you know, physical activity, gym and running and swimming and all that other stuff. You know, so, you know, with prednisone, everything feels good for a while. You know, and then it starts to take toll. But the yeah. methotrexate and everything, I, they actually mentioned it, but I didn't want to because that really messes with your liver. And you got to get a bunch of liver tests. And I, someone told me that it's a, like a chemotherapy treatment or I don't know. But we never went too far. I never really went too far into it in terms of not wanting to know everything about it. For if sure. For sure. Yep. No, I I understand that. So now you are um you're you're a video editor primarily uh, right now, in Philadelphia yeah. and, and at a very high level because I've seen the pictures of your equipment and uh, I'm I'm envious <laughs> as a TV guy. I'm yes. envious. You got you got some nice stuff, and you're married and you have uh, how many children? Two, twenty nine and twenty one. Okay, great, and so. Um, and you've mentioned your outdoor activity. What, uh, so you, you bike, you, you walk, you, you swim and not anymore. Not, not anymore. anymore. Nope. Can't do it. Well, it makes it definitely. It, well, if I had oxygen, well, I, let's stop. I do go to the gym and I work out and I get on the treadmill with oxygen. So while I'm at the gym, I get on the treadmill, I row, I bike, all that with supplemental oxygen. I use some of the weights. That's fine. And if I go to the park, if I have a portable tank, I can roam around and pretty much do what I want to do. And I used to do that with my dog. Uh, as far as swimming goes, unless it's a really controlled environment, which I don't have too many where I live, then I can't. And I really love the swim because it keeps your body in shape. And one of the things with sarcoid is that you have to, you have to stay active. You cannot just sit still. You have to stay active. And doing the things that I like to do that require my physical activity are limited now. So I have to think of other things. 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you have a blog called No Tears for Sarcoidosis. And that's, yeah, that's how I first discovered that you, that you were out there. Uh, what made you, first of all, what does No Tears for Sarcoidosis mean? Well, to me, it means that if, because I have this, you know, it is what it is. You know, I, I can't do anything about it. I can keep it in control. I can, you know, do what the doctors say, but I also got to, you know, do things by my rule. You know, so I'm not going to, you know, stand back and just sit around and just wait for the other shoe to drop or wait for any shoes to drop for that matter. If they're going to drop, I'm going to make them drop. So I don't, I don't have any tears for it. I just keep moving the, the best that I can, doing what I can and just keep, keep going. Yeah. You, um, you're kind of a philosopher when, when I get into some of your reads, I mean, you, you get pretty deep and you put it out there. You want to, it's kind of hard to just philosophize on demand, but what, what are some of the thoughts that you've shared in some of your blogs? Well, the one thing, and I think I mentioned this to one of my pulmonologists is that, that one of the times when I was in the hospital, well, first of all, we, it would be helpful if, you knew what you were fighting. You know, if you if you knew the enemy you were against, then you could have a, a better defense. And I didn't know what I was up against when all of this started. And to be honest, I didn't want to know. I just wanted, I just knew that it wasn't going to stop me. Uh, when I talked to my pulmonologist, I told him, you know, it would have been cool if I had somebody to talk to early on when all of this happened, particularly with the lung collapse, because that's, you know, that's kind of scary. You don't know what's going to happen until it happens. And then after that happens, everything is, is a, a, a benchmark. You know, you, or you achieve this. Okay, you walk 20 steps. Okay, you, you, you're on two liters. Now you're on one liter, you know. So it's important that you understand that with each accomplishment, you know, that there's, there's, there's each event has an accomplishment. So every time that you overcome something, it's an accomplishment. Now you got to move on to something else. Now you got to move on to something else. And it doesn't stop until you push yourself to the point where you can say, okay, I got this. And you just keep moving. And when you slow down, you slow down. You take a break. You know, I had a therapist that uh, had, a, had a good line that I, I repeated often. Fast and furious wins the race. No, there's fast and furious. The fast and furious on your face. Oh, okay. slow, and steady, slow and steady wins the race. Right, right. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was a physical therapist talking to you, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. Have you had to seek out any, uh, any sort of um, psychological therapy at all through this? Well, through the insurance, they, they call. And I've talked to them a time or two. But then I think it's more of a reflection that helped. Because, you know, you have so much that builds up. You got to let it out. And sometimes it's good just to talk to yourself. You get the best answers that way. Yeah. So let's get back to the blog. How often, how often are you writing? And um, where would people find that? Well, I write for a company called Bio News Services. And I saw their ad uh, on a website for a job. And I said, well, wait a minute, you know, somebody's looking for somebody to write about sarcoid. I just came out of the hospital. 
with all of this going on with the sarcoid and everything. So why not give it a shot? So I sent my resume and the editor at the guy, uh, editor at the time called me and we had a great conversation and he told me about his physical disabilities and kind of put two and two together. And they said, well, we want you to write, check this out. And as I've been writing more and more started coming out about the process of learning about sarcoid, the, the laughter, you know, it's funny. There are, there are some funny, funny things that you understand when you have sarcoid that other people don't understand, you know, and it gives you a chance to look at people and figure them out. It's like, why are you so miserable? You know, you're not going through this. And it's, it's, it's funny the way that, that it happens. So um, I usually try to write a column every week. Um, thought about putting together some kind of little booklet or pamphlet. I've actually had people that had asked if I was going to write something more in-depth about it, particularly my experiences. And I thought about it. So I'm kind of on the fence with that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about doing anything video wise since you're a video producer? I, I have, but right now I would not know where to start. You know, I'm, I'm one of these people that um, I, I used to work with while well, I was trained with an editor that um, he was teaching me some tricks on how to edit faster. And when he walked into the room, he walked in and he looked at me and the one other guy. And he said, I'm the person that they call when they have a problem editing. And he sat down at the keyboard and he just started blazing the thing. And he stopped and he looked and he said, a great editor never uses a mouse. He only uses the keyboard. And this guy, and I said, okay, well, I got to get up to this guy's speed. Never did. But um, I, I say that to say that if there was a project on the table or something that I could work with, I'd be more than happy to jump in and just take a lead, take a take a, 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 a part of it or do something with it, just to get back into it. Because when you've done it for so long and you lose, when you've done it for so long and you haven't done it in a while, you don't want to lose it. And it's definitely a skill. It's it's definitely a skill. I mean, as you know, working in TV, if you if you're out of TV for a little bit, you know, you have to build those skills back up. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I did. I I did that. I left TV for uh, just under five years to do public relations. And um, when I went back in, just in that short amount of time, it was uh, it it had changed a lot. Yeah, you have to. Right, you have to reacclimate it, I guess, to yeah. how things are. Right. And the, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say the technology is growing so fast, and, and oh, yeah. people listening to this are listening to hear us talk about sarcoidosis, not editing, but I watch and I marvel at the people because I, when I, whenever I edit video, which is seldom, I'm, I'm all about using my mouse, and but the people right. at the TV station, their hands just fly over the keyboard, and they never touch right. yeah. the mouse. It's all... It's all, it's all keyboard strokes. Um, so uh, where, where do people find your blog? It, I, I get it because I get the sarcoidosis news sent to me. I just subscribe to that. And then you're one of their bloggers. Uh, right. That, you, and, you can get it that way. Or if you go into, uh, I think if you look up bio news services, you can find it that way. Um, my LinkedIn, I think I have a link for my LinkedIn on it. Um, what else? Sarcoidosis News. If you yeah. want to look that up, 
or I, I even Googled my name and came up. So, you know, you right. can find it that way too. But it's more so just a column of how people with sarcoid can live with sarcoid and not let sarcoid take over your life. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, I, I try to be humorous in a lot of what I write and I try to be thought provoking in some of the things that I write. And I'm glad to see that I've accomplished both because I do get some people that, that like it and there's some people that don't, but everything's not for everybody. Right. I just know for me, it's not going to be sitting in the corner waiting for the shoe to drop. I hear you. And you have a great Reggie White story. You want to tell that? Oh, when I went to the pulmonologist, the uh, first pulmonologist that diagnosed me with the um, with sarcoid, we were talking about sleep apnea and the CPAP machine and everything else. So and when he asked to look at my legs and he saw that it was sarcoid, he gave me a sheet, a pamphlet to read, and it was a sheet on Reggie White. And Reggie's was one of my all-time football heroes. Uh, and it was a time when he had left the Eagles and was transitioning to the Green Bay Packers. And right before, maybe about a year or two before all of that happened, before I met the doctor, I actually had an opportunity to videotape Reggie in the studio during the transition from the Eagles to the Green Bay Packers. And when he came into the studio, it was this humongous, huge guy. And he was just so nice. Just really, really a nice guy. And he signed a hat for me. His wife was there and she was pleasant. And he's, he was mild-mannered, just, you know, soft-spoken kind of guy. And he said we did the interview, whatever, and got up and left. And then I saw him playing on the field and he was tearing people up. You know, it was just so, so crazy that he was such a really nice guy. And I had a chance to meet him, not knowing that he suffered from uh, sleep apnea and I think had sarcoid as well. He had sarcoid as well. I believe sarcoid is, uh, and I'm going to look it up, but sarcoid is, is what ultimately um, well, God, what he, yeah. what he died from. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but that, that's, that's cool that you got to meet Reggie White. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Reggie was a bucket list guy for me as well. Bill Russell yeah, he, too. Yeah, he's he's a great guy, great guy. You know, I've had I was fortunate enough to meet him. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet and work with James Earl Jones. Um, who else did I meet? Those are just nice, just nice guys. You know, and the one thing about sarcoid is that it affects everybody. You never know who it's going to affect. You know, black, white, native. I get I get emails from India. I get emails from London. I get emails from China. You never know how it's going to affect anybody, and it's important that you you have to treat people the right way because you you don't know what they're going through, nor do they know what you're going through. Right. So you so you get a lot of response to your blog then you, from all over the world. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. That's got to be gratifying. It is. It is, and it makes me want to keep writing until I get that block, and then I gotta decompress and figure out how I can get past this block and everything else. But oh yeah, it's it's I you know it just it's I don't want it's not it's nice to know that you're not the only one that deals with this. 
Yeah. Do you do you know anybody else who has sarcoidosis there in Philadelphia? Um, just really no. Right. That's I asked some, that question. So that's yeah. what the third or fourth largest city in the United States. You're a high profile SART guy, and you don't know anybody else that has sarcoidosis. No, I mean there's there's another writer here that writes about sarcoid, but. Uh, I actually was, I actually talked to someone on the phone that had it and it was a call that I made for something and it was such a pleasant conversation. And as we were talking, it was a young lady, she ended up saying that she had it and, but she had the skin lesions on her neck and invisible spots. Mine is invisible unless I decided to wear shorts. Right. But that's about it, you know? Right. So um, what's next for you now? You're only one day out of the hospital as we're speaking here. How is your summer 2021 going to progress if it goes according to plan? Right now, according to plan, another month, hopefully I'll be 58 and I'll be sitting in my yard. My, uh, My two barbecue smokers will be pumping smoke. And that's about it. I can't do nothing more but take it easy and enjoy. Great. Uh, what kind of smoker do you have? Do you have uh, a, I a have, green egg or what do you have? No, I have a, I have a Brinkman uh, stand-up smoker, about a five-foot smoker, and I have a, another one. I will take a picture of it, but I'll, have to, I'll, I'll include the picture in my next uh, article. Okay. All right. That sounds cool. But you're, So you're just going to take it easy this summer. You don't have the energy to go out and, and really... No, uh, no. I, yeah, I try to take it easy in the summer because of the heat and the humidity, and it kind of makes it hard to breathe. But the other, the flip side to that is when I walk around with my portable oxygen, once I put the oxygen on and I put a mask on, people stay away from me because they think I have cooties or whatever. They don't know what's going on. So that social distancing works out for me. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. Charlton, anything else you want to share with the audience today? No, John. Uh, just thank you for uh, reaching out. And uh, hopefully everyone will get a chance to check out my articles. And uh, I'll keep writing as long as you keep reading. Cool. And I'll be here. Thanks for joining us. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling So once again, you have to admire the determination of people with Sark. They they want to do as much as they can with their lives, even if it wasn't the life, like in Charlton, Charlton's case, that he once knew. You need to check out Charlton's blog. Again, no tears for sarcoidosis. I get it by subscribing to something called Sarcoidosis News, which is free. It's put out by the Bio News Services in Pensacola, Florida. And every week they send an email. There's an update on some of the latest research and a message from one of their bloggers, including Charlton. And I'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. Please don't forget to go back and listen to the bonus episodes on SARC and COVID and also dealing with prednisone. I think these are rare opportunities as 
You don't always get all the right people coming together in one place at the same time, so you're going to get expert analysis of your problem as opposed to the opinions of maybe some other SARC patients. This is this, These are the true top people in the field, and it's right there as bonus episodes here on the SARC Fighter podcast. If you have a thought, please send me an email. That's also in the show notes. Please follow The Sark Fighter on Instagram and also uh, Sark Fighter Podcast on Facebook. And I just really, truly appreciate your interest. If you like the podcast, do me a favor and tell just one person. All right. Thanks again to Charleston for joining me here today. I wish him all the best in dealing with his sarcoidosis. Same to you. And until next time, keep fighting. Hey.